20th century author, Dorothy Canfield Fisher, said this, Mother is a verb. It's something you do, not just who you are. I hope that as we go through 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, in in a sense, paints a portrait of really what love is all about. Now, if you've ever played Pictionary with me, you know that I am not an artist. It's hard to tell when I'm drawing, whether it's a dog or um, a building. I'm not an artist, but I've seen a few people doing paintings or chalk art or whatever. And so I know enough to say that at least uh, the end portrait is a sum of the paint or chalk that's added on the canvas as well as the painter chalk that is removed from the canvas during the process, whether it's erasing or wiping off. And in the end, you get a really neat and beautiful portrait. So 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about what love is. So put some paint strokes on there and, and what love is. And then he says, well, this is what love is not. He begins to take things away. And in the end, we see a beautiful portrait of really Jesus Christ. He's the only one uh, that can perfectly embody the truths of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And not only moms can benefit from this. Certainly, there's going to be a lot of ways that ladies and moms can apply this. But men, uh, there are many things that we should follow as we uh, try to become more like Jesus Christ. First of all, let's look at the priority of love in 1 Corinthians 13 and verses 1 through 3. The priority of of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, it's a pretty bold statement, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, that's a pretty huge sacrifice, but have not love, I gain nothing. So a quick summary of these first few verses is that love really is the the priority and the most important thing. And Christ showed evidence to that. Christ's greatest gift to us, in fact, was his love. He didn't lavish expensive gifts on his disciples. He didn't give them the highest positions in the Roman government at the time. He didn't even give them and guarantee beautiful homes for them and the the best chariots of the day. But Christ did give to them and to all of us through his sacrificial death on the cross, love, a very priceless and eternal gift. But sometimes we say and, and often think, we may not say it out loud, but we think, what can Christ do for me? But the question should be, what did Christ do for me? Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't deserve it, when we weren't showing him thanks, when we weren't uh, serving special lemonade, you know, all of these things, Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest gift that Christ has given to all of us is his love. Missionary to India, Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And I pray that as we go through 1 Corinthians 13, that truth will become more evident. We can, you know, give a lot of expensive gifts, and we can do travel, and we can, you know, do sports, and we can do all the the music lessons, and all of these things, But if love is absent, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, we've missed the point. We've missed all of the the important points. And 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because who first loved us? 
So as we think about moms, as we think about ladies, uh, there's, there's many you know, opportunities to reflect, even in your own life, of how God has used uh, maybe your mom or women to show sacrificial love. But every one of those expressions is only possible because of, of this verse, 1 John four nineteen, because God gives the capability to love. And even more so to those who are believers in Christ, then they understand what we sang about this morning, the deep, deep love of God. So Christ's greatest gift to us was his love. And moms and really everybody else as well, your, your greatest gift to others will be your love for Christ. This is typically a day where moms receive gifts, but I want to challenge you ladies and I want to challenge everybody in the audience to to think about what kind of gift do you give to others? And not financially, not even your talents, not uh, not a, a special meal, you know, out at a restaurant, not ice cream, but what is the special gift that you can give to others? And the greatest gift that you can give to others is your love for Christ. Because if you're passionate about Jesus Christ, and if you love him with all of your heart, you will love horizontally. You will love your children. You'll love your grandchildren. You'll love others. You're that difficult coworker, the kid in school that just irritates you to no end, uh, the coach that seems like he, he has you know, life against you. You will see that truly... Christ's love is enough. Laura Story writes a, a song, and it's beautifully done, named Give You Faith. I see your tiny face, your fingers wrapped in mine, and I wonder how I'll raise this precious gift of life. I'd give you all my money, but you can't buy what you'd need. I'd show you all the world, but more than anything, I want to give you faith. I want to leave you hope that you would know a love that never lets you go. More than wisdom or wealth, more than happiness or health, may you say, I gave you faith. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint. But there's a love I found, Laura Story writes, that's sturdy in the storm. The very God who formed you gives grace enough for us. And though I won't be perfect, I'll teach you to trust. May you say, I gave you faith. Man, that's my prayer. I pray that as parents, I pray that as One Hope Church, I pray that any kid that we have an opportunity or teenager or college student or any individual that comes from the community that, that has uh, an intersection with One Hope Church family, this is my prayer. That far beyond a good coffee or far beyond bottled water or far beyond a nice space to meet in, that most of all, that through our interactions with them and our investments with them, that we would be able to give them faith. Obviously, it's a work of God, but that we would introduce them. This is the portrait of love. It's not primarily our church family. It's not primarily a mom or a lady, but first of all, it's Jesus Christ. He's the perfect portrait of love. So let's look at that next as Paul begins then to, to paint the portrait and put the strokes on. And first of all, he says, love is patient. Love is patient. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 just starts out very simply. Love is patient. 1 Peter 3, 9 shows some of that, that vast patience that he has shown and still continues to show when Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For those of us who know Christ, I want you to think back a little bit. 
maybe the throw, do a throwback Thursday, and, and as, as, uh, as my phone sometimes will bring up old pictures, think back a little bit of when you did not know Jesus Christ. What was your attitude toward Christ? Did you think it was all a big children's story? Did you think it was all just a parable? Uh, maybe you, maybe you, you seriously doubted, does Christ even exist? Perhaps you even mocked others that began to tell you about Jesus Christ. You're like, man, maybe you need that, but I'm good, all right? If that's good for you, great, go for it, but I don't need it. But yet, Christ was patient and continued to show his love for you. For many who still don't know Christ, millions and millions who still have rejected the offer of redemption. From the unique fingerprint that's on their very finger to, to the vast universe that can't even be explored fully, yet many still refuse to believe that Jesus Christ has a purpose and offers redemption, yet Jesus is patient. And we read already, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Much of our understanding of order and law and relationships and even the parent-child relationship, that, that didn't just come about. That's because of God's design. That's because we're made in his image. That's because there's a tendency within us to worship someone or something. Why? Because God, uh, who is the, the one, only one worthy to be worshipped, placed that within us, the Bible says. And that void, that puzzle piece can only be fit as we recognize Jesus is the one to be worshiped. He has shown us great patience. But yet, not only has he shown us patience, he can help you and he can help me to be patient and show patience. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 says, I therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, so how is that? What kind of worthy walk is that? Well, he goes on to describe with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then in Romans 15, 1 through 7, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the repentance of those, or the reproaches rather, of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through much encouragement, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. But notice the next phrase, may the God of endurance, may the God of encouragement, and then notice this, it says, grant you, or give to you, or enable you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, accept one another, show patience with one another as Christ has welcomed you or has accepted you for the glory of God. Perhaps you, uh, God has placed somebody in your life, maybe a roommate, and you're, you're saying, boy, we just finished the semester, praise God, I can have a, a reprieve from this individual. Maybe a teammate, maybe somebody within your own family, and you can say, I just can't. I can't live with this person. It seems like everything that they say or do just just rubs me the wrong way. Well, you're right, you can't. But Christ can help you to show patience. 
Christ can enable you to live in patience and begin to make this own portrait of love as you try to imitate Jesus Christ. You won't be able to do it on your own. Think of someone, if, if you would, that maybe is completely different. Different age, different background, different likes. Different, I mean, anything you think, it seems like they're the opposite. It would be difficult for you to, to welcome that person as a friend and to accept that person of a friend. Now, I want you to think of how different you and how different I am to Jesus Christ. There's no comparison. But yet Jesus, we just read, says uh, that he welcomed us. Therefore, welcome one another as who? As Christ has welcomed you, has accepted you, has shown patience with us. Love is patient, but hand in hand with that. Secondly, love is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 again. Love is patient and kind. Christ shows kindness. It's another part of, of the portrait that begins to show with greater detail what Jesus Christ looks like. In Titus 3, 4 through 6, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness, notice this, of God, our Savior... We see that Jesus Christ, God the Son and God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are the triune God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of, of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Christ shows us great kindness. John MacArthur said this about these two aspects. Patience will take anything from others, but kindness will give anything to others. If we don't have a proper understanding of this, of this duo of patience and kindness, then we may interpret patience just to be tolerance. I'll tolerate my children, I'll tolerate other church members, I'll tolerate teammates, I'll tolerate my teachers, but kindness, no, but 1 Corinthians 13 says patience and kindness. It's not just to tolerate people, but to show great kindness as Christ has shown to us. It's interesting in Matthew eleven thirty. maybe you're familiar with this passage, but it says, Christ says, for my yoke is easy. It's the same word that's translated for kind in 1 Corinthians 13. For my yoke is kind, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that there's not any temptation that you'll face or that I face that's not common to man. And then it says, but God is faithful who will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's part of his kind and easy yoke. He's not going to put anything before our path that will be beyond our capability, beyond our, our level. He says, no, I'm faithful. His yoke is easy. Christ will enable you to show kindness. Patience and kindness are both fruit of the Spirit. So if they're fruit of the Spirit, that means that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us can remind us of things that we've learned in Scripture, can point us to the example of Jesus Christ, and can help us to live in the Spirit and guided by the Spirit to show kindness as well. Colossians 3.12 says it's something that we have to put on, which means that you and I, are, we're not born with kindness. 
put on then as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's impossible to be impatient and kind at the same time. Love is patient, love is kind. Third stroke on the portrait, love does not envy. Love does not envy, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. You know, Christ did not look upon John. It says John was the disciple whom he loved. Christ didn't look upon the disciple of John and be jealous of John, knowing that from all, everything that we seem to see in Scripture and history seems to indicate that John, although he did face some persecution and he was uh, on the Isle of Patmos for a while, but he died a, a natural death. He wasn't crucified. But it doesn't, there's no evidence that Christ looked upon John like, man, I, I wish that was my story. I wish my life would end that way. To the contrary, love does not envy. Maybe you think, and maybe you're tempted to be envious ladies of your children. Man, I wish I, wish I was back on that phase of life again. They come home and they're talking about how difficult tests and exams are. And we, we, we chuckle because sometimes our kids do that. And not, it hasn't been too long ago you know, one, one came home from school and was starting to complain about a chore. And, and uh, we said, you know, we've been busy throughout the day. Oh, but nothing like at school, Mom. Oh, really? <laughs> Let's trade places for a day, you know, Kim thinks. But we're tempted maybe, okay, I, I wish I had that life again. Or maybe you're looking at other moms and other ladies and men. Maybe we look at other men and say, boy, I wish I had what they had. Why hasn't God been good enough to give me what that lady has or what that, that you know, man has or what that family has? And I think, unfortunately, social media has kind of exasperated this, this tendency. As usually, only the best is posted. And as we scroll through those pictures, oftentimes our human tendencies go, wow. How did, moms may think, how does she do all that? She homeschools, she runs a business, she's got 40 Airbnbs, and she goes to the beach every other week. How does she do it? Most likely, she doesn't. But she just posts tidbits. And men, we, we have the same tendency. We, we begin to envy, we begin to, to be jealous. I want what they have. And then another side of that, which maybe is a little uglier, is I can't have it, so I don't want them to have it either. Love does not envy. In our study in Philippians, Paul talks about, uh, there's some preachers. Paul's in prison, so he can't be preaching openly. He sends a letter to the Philippian church that ironically has, been, has had so much more exposure than any of those messages by the other uh, wrongly motivated preachers. But he's in prison. He couldn't be out preaching. And he said, you know, there's some who, in good motivation, out of love for Christ, are preaching and advancing the gospel of Christ. He said, but there's others who because of rivalry, because of selfish ambition, are preaching Christ and almost as if they were trying to get ahead of Paul. Oh good, Paul's in prison. Maybe our ministry can be elevated all the more. But Paul says, whether they preach out of true love for Christ or whether they preach out of selfish ambition, I praise God that at least the gospel is being advanced. Paul showed, listen, love does not envy. I, I'm not sitting here in prison just like seething that these, these guys are doing this. But yeah, you and I, we face that temptation often. 
Love does not envy. The next stroke on the portrait, love does not boast and is not arrogant. So this would be a, a time where something is taken away, a little bit of paint's taken off, some chalk is taken off the portrait to, again, uh, give a finer detail of what does love look like? Well, it doesn't boast, and it's not arrogant. Love does not boast, it is not arrogant. Mark 10 reminds us that Christ came as a servant to give his life as a ransom for many. Recently, there's been, you know, so much, so many news articles and stories and headlines about the coronation. You know, did you see the coronation? Did you see what this person wore? Did you see what this little kid did? And did you see this detail? Christ could have come as, as really a, an earthly king, but he came as a servant to give ransom for many. You know, ladies, the best gift that you can give to your children, to those who you mentor, is a humble love that models that type of love of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 27, 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. It's interesting in Proverbs 31 when it talks about the virtuous woman, it says that the, the children, her children, rised up and called her blessed. It said then that her husband praised her. The Proverbs 31 woman wasn't boasting about herself and wasn't saying, this is all that, I, that I've done. If you could only be like me, come here how you can discover my secrets. No, the children rise that rose up and blessed her and the, her husband gave her praise. Ladies and, and men, honestly, we're very similar. You may be tempted to think and be able to say, well, you know, I've figured out that, or you may even think or say, you know, I decided a long time ago that I wasn't going to let, but rather we should say, you know, I'm thankful that God has taught me and complete the sentence. I'm thankful and really only glory and worship goes to Jesus Christ who has enabled me, even in my weaknesses and even in my, uh, my, my moments of doubting, God has enabled me to and then complete the sentence. Because in that, we're giving praise to Jesus Christ, not to, to you as a mom, not to you as a lady, not to us as any individuals, but we're saying, Jesus Christ is the one who can help me to do these things for him. Love does not boast, is not arrogant. John the Baptist had a very successful ministry. He was well known. Some even asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no, no, no. But then as Christ's public ministry became you know, more in full swing and as Christ in the fullness of time began to show that he was indeed the Messiah, then John the Baptist wasn't quite so popular. But yet John the Baptist says, he must increase that I may decrease. Boy, ladies and all of us, may we follow that as well. One commentator put it this way, arrogance is big-headed, love is big-hearted. That's part of the portrait of taking that away, taking that off, taking that chalk and that pain away from our life in portrait of love. Another thing that needs to be taken off, love is not rude. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Love is not rude. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 I, says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I entreat you, he says to the Corinthian church, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, unfortunately, the Corinthian church, in many ways, could not be described as a meek and gentle group of people. 
In fact, when they came together for church meals, it said that some of them were so hungry that they just, I mean, they just plowed in and they ate to their heart's content and others went without food. Can you imagine how offensive that would be? Can you imagine if we set the tables here and, and some of us just jumped in and were like, no, no, this is the food we brought. You know, wh- wh- where's the food you brought? Well, you know, I didn't bring much food. Okay, well, you can go sit over there. That's what the Corinthian church was doing. And Paul says, listen, I entreat you, think about Jesus Christ. Think about his meekness. Think about his gentleness. Don't be, don't be rude. Love is not rude. Also, love is not self-seeking, something else that needs to be taken away from our portrait to give the finer details and show this is how we model the love of Jesus Christ. Love is not self-seeking. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, it, or love, does not insist on its own way. As Jesus Christ is sweating drops of blood as he's about to face crucifixion, he says the words that many of us are familiar with, Father, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't insist on his own way. We're all challenged in Philippians 2 to adopt this mind of Jesus Christ, to have this type of attitude in Christ. 1 Corinthians 13.5 stands in stark contrast to the Corinthian believers. They were, Paul was saying, listen, you're taking people to court and you're not even taking time to try to resolve these differences amongst yourselves. You're going to the unbelievers and to the secular world to try to resolve these, these disputes. Wouldn't you rather kind of give up and wouldn't you rather suffer loss? And so then he, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, you know what true love is all about? True love is not insisting on your own way. It's modeling the love of Christ. Some of the phrases that we've heard is, a happy life is a happy wife. Okay. But wives, be careful. You are influential. Your attitude and your mood is very, very important and vital to the home. Be careful that your mood swings don't just just sway the mood of the home. A happy life is a happy wife. Well, who are you happy in? Be happy in Christ. Men, we could be moody too. So the same truth goes for us. Another phrase, if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. If mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. Well, that's not the true love. That's not the portrait that we see in Christ. It doesn't insist on your own way. Next thing we see is love is not irritable. A little bit more paint's taken away. A little bit more chalk is taken off the canvas. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. It, love, is not irritable. The NASB, the NASB version says that it's not provoked. Now, think about how Christ, how much he went through and, and just the, my goodness, the resolve that he had. I, I, I cannot imagine having, being all powerful and at a moment's notice being able to do whatever I wanted to. I mean, you think of, mag- you think of all these fantasy, you know, the, the, uh, these magical shows of fantasy that kids watch and things. I mean, there's no comparison for God the Son. But the resolve that he expressed by not being provoked. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 24. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Now, this is a part that we don't qu- quote quite often. This is probably not a verse that you have in your mirror. It's probably not something you say before your, you know, your next big exam or your big uh, athletic event. So that you might follow in his steps. What steps? Suffering steps. Oof. 
wow, Lord, where's the prosperity in that? Where's the glory in that? Well, Christ says, listen, I, I suffered for you, and I left you an example, and I want you to walk in my steps. And then he goes, Peter goes on to say, he committeth no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Next verse, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is even a reflection of Isaiah chapter 53, the prophecy of, the, of Isaiah. When he was resiled, he, reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges judgely. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's the example that we have to follow. It's a hard one. Christ set the bar high because he's perfect. He knows our weaknesses, but he says, listen, come boldly before the throne in time of need. And ladies and men and teenagers, we need help. Because I'm going to ask you, what sets you off? What is it that happens, whether it's your children, whether it's somebody you're, you're investing in, or whether it's a, a, an employee or, or a coworker or a teammate, but what happens that something inside of you just, the, the switch flips and you go, that's enough. They're going to see anybody that's familiar with the, um, the dude. What are the dude guys call? Dude Perfect. My son watches it all the time. Any of you been familiar with Dude Perfect knows there's a rage monster in a lot of their, their movies. And he just, goes, he just goes crazy and destroys stuff. And sometimes it seems like that happens. What sets you off? What brings you to the point where you don't care anymore about you know, what you say, what your attitude is, and you're just going to let them have it? Is it common for somebody to say or to think, be careful, be careful because mom's in a mood today. Or be careful because David, man, he's, he's in a mood today. Love is not irritable. The great colonial preacher Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, you've probably heard of that message at some point. He had a daughter that had an uncontrollable temper. But a young man began to express interest in her, and they began to, to like each other, and so much so that the man came to Jonathan Edwards and said, listen, I'd like to ask uh, for your daughter's hand in marriage. And Jonathan Edwards quickly replied and says, no, you can't. Well, what do you mean? Why can't I? Jonathan Edwards says, well, because she's not worthy of you. And the young man said, well, but she's a Christian, isn't she? And Edwards says, well, yes. But because of her uncontrollable anger, Edward said this, but the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. <laughs> now, I don't know if she ever got married or not. I, you know, who, who knows? That was her own dad. Hey, nah, -uh, you can't have her. You don't want her. <laughs> the grace of God can live with her, but you can't. I pray that that certainly isn't our experience. Love is not resentful. One, some, something else is taken away from the portrait. Love is not resentful. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. It, love, is not resentful. The New American Standard Bible says, doesn't take into account, the Christian Standard Bible says, does not keep a record of wrongs. And praise God that Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Isn't it great that he doesn't have this divine database that, you know, he punches our name in. He goes, yep, one more thing. David, this is the millionth and, you know, 700,000. He doesn't keep account. 
In fact, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How? Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Man, I'm so thankful that first of all, Christ did this for me, but then secondly, as I go out and as I meet people and as I, as I discover that they don't know Christ, I don't have to ask them or I don't have to check any divine database and go, has he or she sinned too much? No, nope, Christ doesn't keep an account. His blood is enough to cover any sin, and we have that message that we can share freely, and that should lead us. You and I shouldn't keep records either. We shouldn't keep a record. In fact, ladies and moms, and then all of us, if you're keeping a journal, whether it's you know, literally or maybe in your phone or many times it's in our head, we just kind of store something in the background. Oh, yep, I did it again. Oh, there's another one. And we're keeping a record of the faults and the offenses. And then, then that kind of judges, we, we judge on, then how should I react towards that person? Well, let me kind of go back in the category and see what's on their account. But if you're keeping a journal or even some type of record in your phone or in your mind, imagine, imagine how big the record would be that if Jesus Christ kept of your faults and of mine. I've never been in the Library of Congress, but I understand it's one of the largest, if not the largest library in the world. That may be a start of where our offenses would be journaled by Christ. There's no comparison. Love is not resentful. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, that may be an interesting little ditty, but it's not biblical. It's not true love. It's not the portrait of Christ. Be careful. I was, I was uh, with someone recently, and I, they wisely said, be careful about the silent promises that we make to ourselves. I'll never let that person say that to me again. I'll never let someone treat me like that again. Be careful about the silent promises you make to yourself because love is not resentful. Love celebrates truth, 1 Corinthians 13, 6. If love does not... It, love, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Where do you find satisfaction? What brings you great joy? What, what makes you passionate? As I mentioned earlier, this has been tournament weekend for uh, the YMCA, and Michael and Mary have had five games already. Uh, they were supposed to have some games. In fact, Michael is missing a championship game that's supposed to start in about 20 minutes. But it wasn't a hard decision. We wanted him here. We wanted him to celebrate what God is doing here. But yet all throughout those games, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm the first one or one of the first to jump up and yell. My voice is a little uh, hard this morning even because of that. And I get excited about that. I get excited. Last night, Mary scored the winning game about 30 seconds before the whistle was blown. That was exciting. But it, are those the only things that excite me? There's nothing sinful about that. But do I rejoice in truth? Do we celebrate, moms, do you celebrate truth? Or perhaps you're tempted to kind of even celebrate some wrongdoing because it makes you more comfortable with where you're wrong. You gloss over some things that your children are doing because you know that if you pointed that out, they would look back in your face and say, hey, what about you? What about you? And may we be quick to say and understand, yes, we're sinners, but by God's grace, I'm always seeking to live worthy of the calling that Christ has for me. And I don't want to celebrate in wrongdoing. 
And that our children would be free to be able to come, with, come to us and respect and say, you know, there's some things that don't seem to match up. We go to church, we open the Bible, we read some things, but then there's other parts of our life that don't seem to match up, Dad and Mom. And I pray that if they respectfully do that, oh, I pray that our hearts would be humbled and we would say, you're right. May we together as a family celebrate truth. May we together as a family celebrate Jesus Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. May that be a part of the portrait of our family. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. We won't be able to go into all of these specifically, but it kind of sums it up and it gives a conclusion. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. These, these are, as it were, the finishing touches of the portrait, but they're very strong and they stand out in stark contrast to the love of the world. Love bears all things. As I mentioned before, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 talks about Jesus Christ who, who bore our sins, who took upon him our transgressions. By his wounds, Isaiah 53 says, we are healed. His love is enough to cover our sins. Peter was very well aware of his shortcomings as he himself rejected Jesus Christ three times. On another occasion, Paul had to confront Peter and says, Peter, you know, your attitude towards the Gentiles is wrong. Peter knew he was a sinner. But Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. We've seen parents do this. They love their children. And it's easy for some parents who love their children deeply to, to say some things. And it's, it's kind of cute when the kids are young, right? We had a joke. We, we, one of our, Jessica was the first uh, grandbaby on Kim's side. And when we would vacation together as a family, if she were to get cranky and if she started to act up, the, the running joke was, well, she's just tired. No, she's a sinner. <laughs> That's her problem. But it's like, no, she's just tired. If we love someone, the tendency is... We cover the sense. We don't want to shine the light. We don't want to glare. Boy, love bears all things. Love believes and hopes all things. If you and I truly understand the, the, the gravity of our own depravity, of our own sinfulness, how much more we'd be thankful that Christ, in his love, he didn't look at us and go, boy, I'm not sure about David. I don't know if there's hope for him. And that in turn will lead us as we meet people and, and our minds begin to think, is there hope? Yes, there is. Because Jesus Christ is the God of love and hope and power. So we see that love believes and hopes all things. Commentator said the rope of love's hope has no end. As long as there is life, love does not lose hope. If it's for a rebellious child, if it's for an unsaved spouse, if it's for a difficult coworker or some teammate, you keep hoping, you keep believing. Christ is enough, and that's the message I'm going to give. And until that, that person's last breath, I'm going to continue to pray, I'm going to continue to love, I'm going to continue to hope, because I don't want to fall short of the portrait of Christ's love. And then lastly, love endures all things. King David wrote in Psalm 63, 3 and 4, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Christ, enduring love for you can help you lovingly endure all things for his glory. I like how John MacArthur put these last, this last verse in this phrase. Love bears what otherwise is unbearable. It believes what otherwise is unbelievable. And it hopes in what otherwise is hopeless and it endures when anything less than love would give up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning as we close?